Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Hey, uh, it is great to be here. It's, it's great to be back on stage. I only get to do this about once or twice a year, and it's always fun on Sunday afternoon when I'm done. <laughs> um, as you heard, Pastor Ben is out. Uh, he, he, what a great video that was, huh? Um, it's almost like we should just pray and go home at this point. But uh, uh, Pastor Ben's on his way back. He'll be back next Sunday, and we're excited about that. Um, and, and as we, we began a, a new series. Um, we call that series Beyond Happy, as I'm sure the graphic says behind me. Um, the series will run us all the way through the summer, um, and, and it will take us basically verse by verse through uh, the book of Philippians, uh, which, which you probably know is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a bunch of Christians in the Greek town of Philippi, where he had, he had started a, a church community. And although it was located in northern Greece, um, Philippi was actually a very Roman town um, because it was filled with retired Roman soldiers who'd been given land there after fighting in one of Rome's many territorial wars. Um, Paul had traveled through Philippi a year or so earlier and persuaded several of its residents, Romans and Greeks alike, uh, to believe in his message that Jesus was the risen Messiah, the the rightful king of the world, and to surrender their lives to him. So Paul is now, uh, a few years later, writing a letter of thanks and encouragement back to these Philippian Christians. Uh, Thanks for the significant gift uh, that they had sent him while he was in prison. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, An encouragement because the Philippian Christians, like most Christians in that time, um, faced persecution, uh, primarily from the Roman population who didn't didn't like that these Christians kept announcing and giving their allegiance to a Lord and Savior other than Caesar. As we said last week, um, one of the distinguishing features about Paul's letter to the Philippians is that it's almost completely upbeat. Um, In many of his other letters, as I said last week, in many of his other letters um, that he wrote to these little church communities around the Mediterranean Rim, uh, the tone of those letters is very heavy or or heavy at times as Paul addresses um, false teaching and uh, uh, infighting and division and serious immorality among those church communities. Philippians is is different. Paul seems to write with genuine joy uh, throughout the letter, which is even more notable um, given that, as we said, Paul actually wrote the letter during a period uh, when he was imprisoned. Um, we're, not, we're not totally sure where he was imprisoned. Uh, most scholars have come to believe that it was in Rome, um, but others think it may have been in the, in the city of Ephesus across the, uh, uh, across the ocean there, um, or even back in Judea, back in the Israel region, um, in the city of Caesarea. We, we don't know for sure, um, but, but we know from the letter itself 
um, that Paul was in fact imprisoned and he was guarded uh, by the Romans. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Brit- Brittany set the stage for us as, as we explored Paul's pretty cheerful introduction to the letter. Um, and this week, we're going to start digging into to the meat of the letter, if you will. Um, so if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app with you, um, we'll be in chapter 1 of, of Philippians again, uh, this time starting with verse 12. Or as always, you can just uh, follow along with us on the verses uh, on the screen behind me as well. Uh, it is a rather long passage passage, so uh, hang in there. And, and as you read along with me or listen along with me, uh, remember that Paul is writing while he's under arrest. Uh, verse 12 starts, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me and for they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Uh, Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, catch this, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. As always, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. As mentioned, um, as you probably caught, the real hallmark of Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, to these Philippian Christians, can be summed up in in one word, I think, joy. You can almost hear it in in the tone of what I just read, uh, can't you? Uh, But but as we read, Paul's not writing about picnics and puppies here. Um, He's writing about imprisonment uh, and enemies and, and whether he'll live or die in prison. Yet, somehow, he writes with joy and about joy uh, all throughout this letter. Um, He actually mentions the word joy or its synonyms uh, some 19 times in four chapters. For us, uh, that may seem like a bit of a disconnect um, because we would, I think most of us, uh, normally define joy as something like extreme happiness, right? Um, I, I mean... 
I, I get joy from listening to a great set of music from our worship team, who are phenomenal, by the way. Um, I find joy in the, in the beauty of nature on a perfect summer day. I, I'm certainly gifted with great joy when one of my granddaughters reaches up and holds my hand when we're walking together. Goodness, I can even get joy from almonds, as it turns out. <laughs> provided they're properly coated with chocolate and coconut, of course. Uh, Paul, though, is under house arrest, and he's closely guarded by a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. He's got, as we just heard, enemies and critics in Rome and everywhere else that he's been spreading the good news about King Jesus. Uh, Those who want to kill his message those who want to gain power or money for themselves by hijacking his message, and, and, and even those who want to kill him. And, and finally, as the passage we just read tells us, uh, Paul is living every day of his life under the very real threat that, that the Romans will one day get tired of all his nonsense about this new king and just execute him uh, like they executed Jesus. And yet, he writes with obvious joy. Um, So clearly, Paul's definition of joy, or perhaps his source of joy, is a bit different than how we think about the word. Uh, So let's take a a minute to look a little bit more closely at Paul's circumstances, and and maybe find some parallels to the negative circumstances we all face routinely in our lives. Um, Circumstances that, that quite often rob us of any joy that we might have. And then perhaps we can figure out where this irrational, non-circumstantial joy that Paul writes with and about comes from, and maybe how we too can have it. Uh, First, Paul tells us that he's somehow found joy in his chains, in his imprisonment, in other words. Uh, Look at verses uh, 12 through 14 again. Uh, He writes, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here in Rome, in prison, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Uh, Now, uh, a little bit more history and detail about Paul's imprisonment may uh, help to add some clarity here. Uh, Most likely, as I said, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Uh, We actually think this is probably the imprisonment that uh, Luke wrote about at the end of the book of Acts, where it says that Paul spent two years under house arrest in a a rented house in Rome. And and even though hanging out in an Airbnb in Rome for two years um, doesn't sound too terrible, um, Paul wasn't free. In fact, not only was his freedom taken from him, but also his privacy um, completely, uh, because his captivity was enforced by a Roman soldier who was actually handcuffed to him 24 hours a day. And he was connected to that soldier by a chain that would have only been about 18 inches long. Um, Each soldier assigned to guard Paul would would take a a four- or six-hour shift, uh, rotating with the other soldiers in the praetorium, the the palace guard. Um, Think about that for a bit. Um, Two years of zero freedom and also zero privacy. Um, But all Paul could see was the upside, 
because he was apparently allowed to have lots of visitors, and, and he was allowed to tell them the good news about Jesus. And since, uh, so far as we know, the Romans didn't issue earbuds or headphones to their troops, soldier after soldier from the Roman palace guard got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Uh, this exposure not only spread the good news to an unlikely audience of these Roman soldiers and probably into the palace itself, uh, it also emboldened Paul's visitors to, as the passage said, boldly speak God's message without fear, because if Paul could preach the gospel in front of Roman soldiers day after day after day, so could they. So uh, what, what are your chains? Um, the chains that might be killing your joy in life. Um, few of us, uh, praise God, will ever be imprisoned and, and have both our freedom and our privacy taken away. Uh, but we all have chains, right? Um, maybe it's a, an addiction you can't shake. M maybe it's a job that makes you feel like you're in prison. Um, perhaps it's the lingering effects of bad financial decisions you've made in the past, or, or maybe even the haunting memories of other bad choices you've made. Whatever it is, and we all have chains, Paul tells us that we're called, like him, to find joy in our chains. But how do we do that? Now, don't confuse Paul's joy or his choice to be joyful with, with happiness. Um, Paul's not happy to be imprisoned. Um, he'd much rather be free to travel and preach again and to start more churches. And I'm sure he'd much rather be able to go to the bathroom in private. Uh, but he's able to find joy anyway, even in his chains, even in his unhappy circumstances. And now next, Paul shows us that we can have joy among our critics, uh, even among our enemies. Um, Look again at verses 15 through 18, where Paul writes, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, check this out, intending to make my chains more painful for me. That doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I'll continue to rejoice. Um, as Paul mentioned, uh, or as uh, I mentioned, uh, Paul had a variety of folks who liked to tell him what he was doing wrong, as well as a number of enemies that were opposed to his message and wanted to see him fail completely. Um, back in the province of Galatia, uh, for instance, there were these Judaizers, as they were called, uh, Jewish Christians who insisted that non-Jewish believers had to become Jewish and follow the Jewish law in order to be true followers of Jesus. Uh, down in the city of Corinth, there were these so-called super apostles who came into the Corinthian church after Paul left it and, and who made fun of Paul and belittled him because apparently he wasn't very impressive uh, to look at or to listen to when he preached. And, and right there in Rome, it seems from the passage that Paul had plenty of critics, uh, fellow preachers who didn't like that Paul who was a relative newcomer to the, to the Roman Christian community, uh, was getting all the attention. 
Paul's response, once again, he finds joy in negative circumstances because he chooses to see the upside of it all. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message is being preached either way, so I rejoice. Uh, obviously, in Paul's view, the old showbiz, showbiz adage uh, was true that any publicity about the gospel of Jesus was good publicity. So who are your critics? Are there those in your life, maybe at work, maybe in your extended family, perhaps even in your social circle that you just can't seem to get along with? Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's your boss who finds fault with everything you do. Or, or it could be your brother-in-law who thinks you're a complete idiot for your political views. Even worse, perhaps, perhaps it's your spouse who somewhere along the way lost their trust and confidence in you, and now their respect for you is gone too. We, we all have critics and, and even enemies, uh, those who just clearly aren't on our team. Uh, but once again, Paul encourages us, encourages us to find joy among our critics, even among those who seem to want us to fail. But how do we do that? Finally, Paul shows us his words by his words and his example that we should find joy even in our crises, in those life-changing moments and events that cause huge amounts of stress and could potentially end very badly for us or, or for someone we love. There in his little Airbnb prison, um, Paul woke up every single day, not only with a sweaty Roman soldier chained right next to him, but also with a very real question in his mind. Will this be the day that I die? Oddly, though, that question didn't seem to bother him, and it clearly didn't steal his joy. Uh, listen again to his thoughts on living and dying, um, some of them famous, starting in verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Uh, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I, I really don't know which is better. I, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Uh, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Now, re reading that, you might think that Paul has a death wish. Uh, in fact, verse 21 in the, in the more formal traditional uh, English translations uh, famously reads, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And, and that word gain in the Greek is a financial term that means uh, make a big old profit. You know, think win the lottery. Uh, but Paul isn't looking to check out anytime soon. Uh, he's not about to get himself intentionally killed. He, he's simply demonstrating to us that um, even in his daily existential crisis, when his, his death was a very real possibility every single day of his imprisonment, he was still able to find joy in his circumstances, and, and so should we. Um, as many of you know, I, I, I got a taste of this just recently, um, a taste and a, and a test, I should say, uh, a test of what facing a crisis that might lead to death uh, looks like. 
a little, little more than four months ago, a little less now than four months ago, I had what I uh, continue to describe as a mild heart attack, although I've been told over and over there is no such thing as a mild heart attack. Um, in a couple of days, I, I underwent open-heart uh, quadruple bypass surgery. Um, thanks to the grace of God and the prayers of many of you, everything turned out fine, obviously. Um, but between my heart attack and my surgery, I conveniently had about two and a half days to lay in a hospital bed and ponder my crisis, to ponder my situation, uh, to ponder whether I could actually find joy in my crisis as Paul did, and whether I really believed that uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Your crisis may not be as big as Paul's or, or even as dramatic as mine, um, but maybe, maybe you're struggling with a long-term illness, or worse, you've got a child who's struggling with a long-term illness. Uh, maybe you've lost your job recently and you don't have a clue about how you're going to pay the bills next month. Perhaps your son or your daughter is the one battling addiction and you can't sleep at night because you're terrified your phone might ring. Again, Paul, by his example, calls us to be joyful even in our crises with this irrational joy that's wholly independent of our circumstances. Where on earth does that come from? As you might have guessed, the answer is pretty simple. The answer is Jesus. For those of us who have made the decision to trust and follow King Jesus, our circumstances, our, our chains, our critics, our, our crises are no longer meant to dictate our joy because our, no, our joy is no longer meant to be connected to our circumstances at all. Um, instead, we discover that our joy is a choice we make. And that the ability to make that choice is actually a gift from God. A gift, as Galatians chapter 5 famously tells us, is, is part of the package uh, of uh, gifts that, that we call the fruit of the Spirit that we receive when God's Spirit joins with our spirit to lead us in our new lives in Christ. Uh, in his letter to the Philippians that we're studying right now, Paul makes it very clear uh, that his circumstances cannot rob him of his joy because he's not living to enjoy his circumstances. Let me, let me say that again. Um, Paul is not going to let his circumstances rob him of his joy because he's not living to enjoy his circumstances. Instead, he's living to serve his king, Jesus Christ. His joy comes from seeing his circumstances as opportunities to live out his purpose, uh, which is to show and tell as many people as possible uh, about Jesus and about his love for them. So if we can just ad adopt this same singular focus on our purpose in Christ, which is that same pur purchase, purpose, Paul tells us, it can completely change how we view our circumstances. Uh, instead of allowing our chains and our critics and our crises to be joy killers, we can view them as opportunities opportunities to display our trust and confidence that God's plan for us will end in eternal joy. Um, as I've frequently, frequently made clear to anybody who pays attention, um, I'm a huge fan of the Boston Red Sox. And, and who isn't? I mean, honestly. 
Uh, as a life and as a lifelong Red Sox fan, I, I of course uh, own a DVD copy, um, or maybe it's VHS, uh, but uh, of the two th highlights from the 2004 playoffs. Nobody remembers 2004, right? Uh, is when the Red Sox defeated the Yankees in historic fashion in the American League Championship Series, and then when they went on to sweep the World Series and, and win the World Championship for the first time in 86 years. Of course, you've got that that DVD. Um, whenever I watch the highlights uh, from that year, the playoffs, I, I especially enjoy rewatching the Yankees series. Of course. Um, because as you might remember, the, uh, the evil empire won the first three games of that series in crushing fashion. Um, and, and it looked for all the world like they were going to humiliate the Red Sox again and send them home by sweeping them from the playoffs. And, and then, of course, as any fan knows, uh, the Sox, Sox clawed their way back to win game four, uh, and then game five, and then game six, and finally game seven, sealing the most historic comeback in Major League Baseball playoff history. But the part I like best about rewatching the series now is that I can actually watch those first three games, the highlights of those first three games against the Yankees, games in which I, uh, the, my beloved Red Sox got spanked by my least favorite team, I can actually watch those games and enjoy it. At, at, the, at the time, of course, uh, you know, the games were sickening, and I probably threw things at my TV because it was distressing to watch. But, but now I can enjoy them. That is, I, I can find joy in them because I know how the story ends. I, I know who wins. Ultimately, our followers, our joy as followers of Jesus comes from knowing the end of the story. The ending that will bring the end of our chains, the end of our critics, the, the end of our crises. When it's all over and we're standing face to face with Jesus, our, our circumstances will be forgotten and we'll experience true joy, a joy that will be literally unshakable. Knowing that, believing that, clinging to that should allow us to choose to live lives of joy now, a, a joy that the world will probably see as irrational, a joy that even our worst circumstances can't take from us. So here's your challenge as we, as we wrap up. If you're a follower of Jesus, start looking at your circumstances, good or bad, through the lens of heaven. Now, look at them as opportunities, opportunities to show and tell people about Jesus and his love for them. And ultimately, start looking at them in light of eternity, an eternity of blissful joy in the presence of Jesus. As we said, uh, the defining characteristic of this great letter Paul wrote to the Philippians is this overarching sense of joy that we can sense throughout his writing. As followers of Jesus, shouldn't that be our defining characteristic as well? Because after all, we know who wins. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, uh, 
Thank you for your call to joy in our lives. Um, Thank you for giving us the gift, uh, the gift of the power to choose joy even when our circumstances are unhappy, even when joy seems so distant. We have the power through your spirit to choose it. Father, I ask as we, uh, as we study through Paul's letter to the Philippians this summer that uh, you would inspire us to choose joy as he did. In- inspire us to, to be joyful when things are not apparently worthy of joy. Give us this irrational joy that will make other people wonder, what's up with that? Give us the strength, the courage, the boldness to answer. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Be with us as we continue to worship and as we leave this place to to go out into a world that's irrational. Let us meet that world with your joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.